In a short span of five years, private 4G and 5G networks have stirred a lot of excitement. But do the outcomes justify the hype? Enterprises wrestle with choices between do-it-yourself, managed services and public operator network slices. How do neutral hosts and system integrators help? What are the most viable technologies for private wireless? Private network deployments are generally customized for the client and it is hard to compare the cost and benefit. So do CIOs know how to evaluate their choices and do they have the real-world data to compare? Are there pitfalls in implementation that they should consider while planning private network deployments? Let's find out. Hi guys, this is your host Ashish Jain and you're listening to the Alignment Podcast where we go beyond the buzzwords and connect the dots between technology and its business impact. Meet my guest for today's podcast, Michael Zetto, Chief Commercial Officer at Boingo Wireless. Michael is a veteran in wireless industry. Before Boingo, he worked at AT&T as Vice President for IoT Solutions and also as the Founder and General Manager for AT&T's Smart City Solutions. Michael also co-founded and served as CEO of Proximus Mobility. In short, he has extensive experience in the wireless industry and brings unique perspective to new technology adoption. In our discussion today, we will uncover a few things such as specific examples of innovation leveraging private networks, quantitative benefits of private networks, adoption hurdles that still exist today, and how can enterprises navigate through the maze of choices. So without further ado, let me welcome Michael Zetto. Michael, thank you for joining me today. Hey, thanks, Ashish. Appreciate it. And, um, you know, thanks for having me. Uh, really great to be here. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your journey in the wireless industry and how do you find this space of private network exciting or challenging? Well, I think it's all the above. Uh, so I'll, I'll start off a little bit of background. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I took a non-traditional journey, um, you know, through the wireless industry, if you will. Um, my background primarily uh, early on was in, in, in software, enterprise software, and uh, on the sales and general management side, and uh, software that would basically leverage data, right? And uh, started Proximus Mobility, was the founder of that, raised a few million dollars, moved the company to Atlanta, Georgia, had the benefit of, of being in an incubator there before all this co-working space existed, uh, and was at the ATDC, the Advanced Technology Development Center. So at Georgia Tech, you obviously get access to a lot of innovative wireless technology. I'm an emerging business guy. I love emerging businesses. I love to go out and create products that solve a big problem that then uh, need to be driven uh, through the adoption cycle, if you will, and uh, and naturally there's an adoption cycle with every technology, and um, and through my uh, early stage background in software, as mobility and wireless really started to change, uh, it became evident to at least AT and T that they needed guys like me, right? And and what AT and T was doing at the time was as the industry was pivoting from uh, relying on network engineers to moving to more of a, uh, and that's traditional network engineers, to move into more of a software-defined networking approach and looking at how to leverage data and analytics to drive benefits for the company itself internally and then for their consumer base or business customers. Uh, and then third, you know, how do we create new businesses that allow us to move up the stack and leverage the core wireless network or the fiber that we have and generate additional revenue and shareholder value? And so I was fortunate enough when I sold the, the Proximus Mobility to, to be brought in by our vice chairman at the time, Ralph De La Vega, 
and um, and Glenn Lurie, who was the president of Emerging Businesses, where the IoT businesses all started, started to focus on boutique M&A around um, IoT, data and analytics, and uh, consumer uh, adoption. And then from there, uh, as you said, founded the Smart Cities business um, and, and grew that from zero to 100 million in three years. Our private network business using 2.3 Spectrum for utilities. And that was very interesting to work with large IOUs, electric utilities in the United States that usually had owned and built uh, and operated their own networks. Uh, and then and then also uh, had our drone business and really think everything emerging for IoT for AT&T business, uh, as well as our 5G and MEC center of excellence. And that's what leads me to the end building journey that I'm on now with Boingo. Because really, at the end of the day, you know, I was responsible for not only that private network business for utilities, um, but also then going from the outdoor IoT environment to the indoor IoT environment. And naturally, this was in 2019. There was a lot of talk around bringing 5G indoor and using multi-access edge compute and, and MEC uh, to drive use cases in venues, and whether that be airports or whether that be stadiums and event centers uh, or manufacturing facilities. And so I had the, the opportunity when I was at AT&T to engage with a lot of C-levels at very, very large brands and, and manufacturers, OEMs, uh, uh, teams across the, the United States and across the world, and was able to develop a, an interesting POV on the emerging market that we're talking about today, which is private networks. And when you look at Boingo as a company, we have a 20-year history in, in building and managing, designing networks. Um, primarily, they were public and the, but the skill set applies to being able to build a large private network. And now what we're seeing, Ashish, as you probably see, is, is all of this coming together, DAS and Wi-Fi and, and private networks um, and, and the convergence, as we discuss it here at, uh, at Boingo, uh, of all the networks coming together. And so what we really are doing is designing and building converged managed networks. Um, one of those offers that we have in the market today is our private network solution, uh, which also leverages MEC. We're taking that into different verticals. And to your point, it's early on. Um, there's a lot of activity. Mainly it was driven by the OEMs, the Ericsson's and the Nokia's of the world. Um, but now you're starting to see service providers uh, like Boingo get into the game and really start to, uh, to create some traction and start to drive that adoption curve um, as we uh, as we move into this sort of early stage market, and we're doing that with CBRS Ashish and um, and as part of our converged network strategy. So really excited to be here, um, and uh, you know look forward to uh, the discussion. Absolutely, you, know, you definitely uh, I love the journey because it's very hard to find um, you know people who have seen the enterprise side. Um, and not just from the enterprise networking side, but the enterprise application and data consumption side, and uh, merging that skill set and knowledge with how uh, you know it applies in the network is is I'm sure very valuable. Uh, you said something that you know triggered my thought and asking you that question, and I normally hear that question, and so I'll take your perspective on it. So you definitely you know. Of course, you personally as well as Boingo as a company, I mean, you've been involved in Wi-Fi, DAS, all aspects of wireless uh, networks for enterprises. So a lot of time I also wonder, right, is 
private cellular network, a result of enterprises screaming a need for it because what they have doesn't work or the industry is trying to convince them there is something cool you should consider. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good, good first question. Um, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you, right? It always starts one way. You know, I mean, when, when you think about uh, when you think about how new technologies are developed and then driven, uh, you know, there's there usually is a need, right? Uh, it's how big is the need is always the question, and then that the size of that need or that problem that you're trying to solve as an entrepreneur or as a as an equipment OEM, um, you know, you you will only have success if you create a dialogue directly with your your potential customers and start to do some customer discovery. So, you know, it can't be just the OEM equipment providers uh, and manufacturers just saying, hey, we are gonna um, create a new market uh, called private cellular, right, uh, for, for manufacturing. There has to be some dialogue and some understanding that there is a problem um, that uh, this technology that, that can be deployed now, this new technology, if you will, or this new business process that can be implemented, whatever it is, um, is, uh, is going to be adopted. And then you determine how big that market could be and how much investment you make in it. And then you see who else jumps into that ecosystem. And, you know, so I, I think, you know, generally speaking, I think that there was a problem to be solved and there is. Um, and so there is a real need. Um, I think that the pool may not have been from the customer, but from the ecosystem, uh, l making the customer aware that there's probably a better way to do some of what they're doing from a connectivity perspective. And that, you know, these new use cases are going to be driven by uh, what could, in, in essence, be private cellular, right? So, so I think, you know, long-winded answer, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a bit of a, uh, there's a bit of a push and a bit of a pull. And uh, sometimes, regardless of which end you start on, you end up at the same place with uh, what will be eventually market adoption. But you really have to go through that same, you really have to go through that same adoption curve for anything emerging, right? That's right. No, absolutely right. You talked about the business pain points, right? And I always... Um put myself in the enterprise shoes and say, okay. Um, or in fact, in this case, I'll, I'll ask you from your operations team and, and say, okay, I was trying to solve an enterprise problem in these different verticals and I can solve this problem better now with this technology at my hand. Could you spell out what would those problems be that, I, that either you can solve better or you could not solve before and now you can solve them? Yeah, so, I mean, look, I think I think the way to look at um, since we're talking about private networks today and and you know the emerging uh, opportunity we have there, um, you know what I usually do when I develop uh, a go-to-market strategy is really look at the verticals, um, you know, and obviously customers make up verticals, right? Um, and and look at the verticals that could really benefit um, from that technology or that solution, if you will, because of the use cases or more importantly. Uh, Ashish, the business outcomes that they're trying to drive, right? right. And, and again, coming from, I'll get slapped on the hand for saying this, but we're not public anymore, so that's okay. Um, you know, I'll get slapped on the hand for saying this, but at the end of the day, uh, 
companies don't buy networks. They don't buy connectivity. They buy outcomes. That's that's really what they're trying to drive. So they make an investment in a network technology or a network solution so that it enables a use case that helps them drive an outcome, right? Perfect. Yep. And I think that uh, I think that there are some of these outcomes or use cases that are uh, horizontal and and could be leveraged across uh, verticals. And then some are very specific. So I'll give you a couple um, and, and I'll, I'll go off the top of my head if you don't mind. So bear with me. But if you think about the verticals of uh, transportation and let's just say transportation hubs, so airports and, and large venues that have hundreds of thousands of people moving through them every day, right? Uh, to get from point A to point B, to catch a train, to catch a plane. Um, you know, that's where Boingo's core business used to be. Um, and then you take, uh, you take manufacturing, right? And that's where Boingo's business is going. And so, so that's a new vertical for us. So those are two verticals. Within those verticals, uh, video or cameras as a sensor, if you will. Uh, and I do believe that video uh, cameras will be the most ubiquitous sensor, IoT sensor that's out there. Um, if you take if you take video as a use case, um, private networks can be leveraged uh, to create a, a a better experience than with Wi-Fi or with having to drag fiber, um, you know, to a camera. Um, and so the, the the video solution, whether it be for transportation hubs or whether it be for manufacturing, uh, is a a use case that. Uh, can be can be leveraged across different verticals using that network technology, private networks, and CBRS. Now, the outcomes from those use cases are going to be very different. In in uh, manufacturing, uh, video may be used for uh, AR VR, right, and for monitoring or maintenance of equipment. In uh, transportation hubs, video may be used for uh, line queuing and people movement and, and where to shift staff or when to open lines to get the maximum flow and create the best passenger experience. Um, in the video example and private network uh, for video example in manufacturing, that's to reduce uptime, right? Um, or, or to keep or to uh, increase uptime and reduce the cost of performing maintenance on those machines and to be proactive, right? And so, you know, leveraging AI in, in manufacturing um, if you just look at the data points, uh, U.S. manufacturers that leverage AI uh, and are using uh, low latency private network and mech solutions perform 11.5% better to those that aren't. So if you think about that, there's a big savings there. And obviously, that passenger experience in an airport um, certainly uh, improves if you can decrease the queuing in the lines and have more of that be seamless uh, and move faster from point A to point B to get to your flight and, and create, you know, more of a touchless experience in that environment, right? Yeah. So no, I, I, just, a couple of, just a couple of use cases that drive different outcomes across different verticals to where private networks and leveraging CBRS and MEC can be that, that underpinning connectivity technology that can drive that. Make sense? No, absolutely makes sense. And in fact, um, I also looked at the transportation at one point uh, and there's a whole study on this, right, which talks about the amount of time people spend at the terminal increase the revenue of the airport because the airport revenue comes not just from providing tenant services to the to the airlines, but also the restaurant business and how much time they're spending. The users are spending with with other retailers that are that are in there. So the longer time they spend 
in the TSA lines, um, the shorter time they have to spend on the restaurants. So there's a whole revenue, uh, I believe. But I want to ask you, are these use cases finding uh, business case and boardrooms of enterprises now? I mean, computer vision, Absolutely. computer vision-based and monitoring and video analytics. Are these are these new areas or these are these are the real-world pain points that the enterprises are trying to actually implement in their networks now? No, look, these are these are the real world the real world pain points. I mean, you know, if you're in a boardroom and you're you're an auto OEM and you're a board member, um, you know, when you're looking at the results from the previous quarter that are about to be made public, right, in an earnings release, um, you know, they're certainly looking at the KPIs that are driving efficiencies and uptime and the ability to have uh, mobile uh, manufacturing equipment in a facility or the ability to um, reallocate uh, labor and increase efficiency um, when you're looking at using uh, robotics um, and automated uh, uh, capabilities in, in, a, in a factory. Um, so, so they're looking at that. Those KPIs uh, flow into executive strategy plans that go out and, and, and are executed so that you can um, increase shareholder value, right? So, so they're 100% looking at that. And in airports, you know, the CEOs of airports, I mean, you know, to your point, uh, very focused on, on making sure that that experience is there. I mean, the pandemic certainly has accelerated uh, their digital transformation plans. And that's really the underpinning of, of why there's such a need for private networks in many cases, right? It's digital transformation. The pandemic's accelerated that. Yet 77% of, of CEOs stated that the uh, pandemic has accelerated those digital transformation plans um, by three to four years in some cases. Um, they're really looking to increase satisfaction. And um, you also have the airlines wanting to invest in these as well. So the airlines are saying to the airport, right? So the tenants that pay fees to the, uh, the owner of the real estate, if you will, the airport, which is primarily uh, owned by a city in most cases, um, the, their tenants are saying, you know, hey, you know, we're investing in, in, in biometric self-boarding gates. We need connectivity, right? And, and we want reliable connectivity. And in this case, we want private because we don't want to depend on the public network that all these other people are on, right? We want a private network, right? So, um, you know, the customers are calling out to the, the executives uh, of the airports, um, the executives of manufacturing facilities and healthcare facilities uh, are having the discussion in the boardroom. But again, you know, they're not talking about the type of connectivity Ashish, right? They're talking about the outcome that drives a KPI that creates shareholder value. So to be clear, they may know, not know what is happening behind the scenes other than um, this cool technology called AI, right, can help our people perform more efficiently, which drives X, which produces Y for our shareholders, right, which increases our stock price by this. So, you know, the conversations are being had. Um, you know, I've been part of those conversations in many cases uh, at the sea level in, in major, major, major uh, Fortune 100 and 500 companies uh, on the enterprise side and certainly with with the public sector, whether it's with mayors, CIOs, uh, governors, or um, you know airport officials, so I know they're ha being had for a fact. It's just you have to listen to really understand what what outcome they're trying to drive, so that you can help create the solution that 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 creates that value, right? No, I I totally agree. And just furthering that discussion, right? So 
there are many forward-looking enterprises where you know they plan ahead and they're already looking at um, these kind of business outcomes that ultimately will <laughs> will require an investment in um, a, a better wireless network. Let's call it that way. Now, you know, you already mentioned airports and manufacturing facilities and even port authorities and, and many other verticals are, are actively investing in wireless technologies. And they've been investing in Wi-Fi in the past. They've invested in DAS and small cells in some or the other way. Um, for those business users that have already taken that journey, um, I can't imagine a huge leap for them to get the value of private cellular networks. However, there's a common perception in the market that enterprises don't understand this or they don't really need understand the need for it. Where do you see the gap in their understanding or hesitation to invest? Well, so look, so um, let me let me play devil's advocate there. I, I think that enterprises do understand that they need to have increased uh, connectivity. They need more of it, right? They, 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 at least at a high level, you know, the life that they live is no different than the business that they run, right? You've got more and more things that are connected and you have more and more things uh, above that that will be connected over the next several years, right? And they know that. They just see it in their everyday life. You know, all of a sudden their car's connected and, and you're getting diagnostics from the vehicle to then knowing that they're driving a Tesla that's uh, automated, that's getting software updates on a regular basis, um, via connectivity and then their uh, Fitbit is connected and then their uh, home is wireless. And, you know, you could go on and on and on to, through a person's daily journey um, to when they get to the office and they've got biometrics now and their temperature is being taken and matched with their profile and cross-referenced. And, you know, there's they know that the world is hyper-connected. So, you know, connectivity is just, it, it is needed and they understand that. I think what's interesting and where the conversation changes from that to um, do we make an investment in a private cellular network versus what we have, which is really kind of what you're saying. Exactly, exactly. Um, You know, where where the discussion pivots and it shifts and you start to have debate is, you know, if you look at, you mentioned DAS. In a lot of cases, DAS is funded by the carriers, right? Because they want to make sure that whatever facility that they're in, that either the manufacturers uh, that the phones that they pay the carrier for work, right? Or that the IoT devices that they pay the carrier a plan for, they work. Um, Wi-Fi, uh, you know, co- companies are very used to Wi-Fi. Uh, the model in airports used to be that they didn't want to pay for it, but they wanted to provide it, so it was ad-supported. Well, now, you know, on the enterprise side, the enterprise is used to paying for, um, you know, a managed Wi-Fi solution or buying the gear and managing the Wi-Fi on their own because they know they need it. With private networks, what's really interesting is, and this is where the strategic conversations come into play in our engagement with customers, different verticals now are saying, hey, we know we need something else other than Wi-Fi and fiber and, you know, DAS if we have it. Um, But we don't know what use case to associate with which network. So help us understand where we are going to get an ROI and what we should connect to which network, right? And so, you know, that's where the conversations usually start to happen. They know they need it because they're experiencing it in their everyday life. They know their business is changing. They hear about digital transformation. Let's face it, all these large enterprises pay consultants to tell them a lot of great things um, and then usually leave them with an 85-page deck and walk away and then they call us, right? <laughs> and and, and, and we, we have to come in and say, okay, I get it, but right? 
this is the way to view it. You need a converged network, not just one or the other. You're never going to rip Wi-Fi out, right? Um, and this private network solution that we're proposing that you go with will give you the benefit of uh, not having to depend on a public carrier network, um, having the ability to own the data and to use the data how you see fit, um, and then the additional security uh, and ability con to connect more devices with less access points, which is easier to manage, with, which is less points of fail failure than your existing Wi-Fi network that you have. So in that case, if, you're look if you have a use case like automated uh, robotics uh, for picking in a logistics facility um, or automated forklifts, then you want to make sure that you've got uh, appropriate uptime, appropriate latency, that it's a private network, that you need less access points, but that you have the mobility there. So that's a use case that will drive an ROI on private networks, and that's where that should be uh, pointed. Video could also be pointed at private networks. So, you know, there in itself, what you do is start to help them understand that based on the outcomes they want to drive, these certain use cases would help to drive the ROI on private networks, uh, but not necessarily detract from the value of Wi-Fi because you have plenty of things still running on Wi-Fi, including just, you know, everyday PC use and whatnot, right? So that's the, that's the thought process you try to take them through so that they understand that, um, you know, not everything is going to run on your private network, but there are applications that are better on that private network um, that are mission critical than are on your existing Wi-Fi system. So you need to have it. And that in itself starts to justify the ROI for them. And then they can continue to add applications as as technologies evolve. Right. Yeah. And that's the emerging piece of, of the adoption curve. And I think that's where the, the whole conversation about the Mac and Edge also starts to happen, right? Because... Uh, 100%. Five, you know, Edge Edge was, you know, as you know, I mean, I, I've seen some of your work and it, it's great, by the way. Um, if, if you look at, if you think about Edge, you know, I remember um, having the Edge discussions uh, when I was uh, back at the carrier, right? Running the 5G and Mac Center of Excellence. And, um, you know, when when you look at the latency discussion, and you can take it from 100 milliseconds down to, you know, sub six milliseconds uh, and, and you're processing uh, data faster than the brain can. You know, it's uh, it, it puts edge into perspective. And a lot of those use cases are are driving the adoption of of mech on prem actually at the facility. Um, and many of those are manufacturing and healthcare. Right. And now we're starting to see it in transportation as well. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So. Great stuff. There's there's a business need, and a lot of stuff is happening. I mean, it's not that private cellular networks are not getting adopted. I, I see, you know, we track on our site a um, number of deployments that are happening around the world, and I see, interestingly, a, an adoption of private 5G more outside U.S. than, I mean, in, in Europe more than in U.S., uh, primarily maybe because, you know, the, the CBRS spectrum that we have today is very uh, much, you know, utilized for 4G networks and there's a wide variety of 5G spectrum available, uh, mid-band 5G spectrum available for industrial use in, in Europe now. But what, what's your take on that? I mean, why would you say that there is a disparity in the use of 5G or, if, or are you seeing a disparity of use of 5G in private networks in US versus other regions? 
Well, so let's, I mean, let's define private networks, right? Because, you know, we, the one, you know, I have a, I have a public sector background as well, obviously, right? And then sort of the commercial enterprise sector, you know, you, you are seeing, um, you will see, I think, uh, you know, if, if you look at the outdoor environment and uh, bridging the digital divide and different use cases there, uh, I think CBRS makes a lot of sense, um, you know, for, for that. And, and you're going to start to see some 5G gear out there for CBRS come from Airspan and others, right? So you'll start to see more, more CBRS uh, and enabled 5G gear out there um, coming up here in this uh, second quarter, I think, of 2022. Uh, I think also the way that the carriers allocate spectrum is very different. Um, you know, you mentioned it earlier, uh, and, uh, you know, I certainly know for a fact that if you use LTE and Edge, uh, LTE and MEC, you can achieve some of the same benefits, if not all the same benefits of, of, of 5G indoors, if you will, for some of these use cases. Uh, when, the, when the ecosystem is there, uh, equipment and device wise, I think licensed spectrum um, and CBRS uh, will, will be more widely adopted here indoors um, you know, for industrial use cases like it is being adopted uh, in, in other parts of the world. Um, you know, it's a different spectrum situation over there, obviously, and, um, you know, you've got uh, you also have the the OEMs, if you will, you know, back to the first part of our conversation. You have the OEMs in Europe uh, driving a lot of that because they're there and they have a direct relationship with the customer um, and then access to the spectrum through their carrier partners, of which there are many. Uh, if you look at, um, you know, at, at, at Europe, right? I mean, in the U.S., you have three that are trying to figure out uh, three and now, you know, let's call it maybe four that are trying to figure out how to allocate spectrum for best uses. And, um, you know, in many cases in, in other parts of the world, you have you have more options, right? Yeah, exactly. So talking about ecosystem, every technology goes through a maturity cycle, right? So an ecosystem plays a big part in it. Uh, overall, what's your perspective on the maturity of private cellular networks? I mean, what has worked, what has not worked, what is yet to work? And where do you see the ecosystem stand today? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the ecosystem is moving along. I think for, um, you know, for the, for, the, for the spectrum that's available today, uh, the licensed spectrum from, you know, the non-CBRS, if you will, um, I think that uh, you obviously see more end devices um, that are accepted of that spectrum. CBRS devices are coming along. Um, you know, it's like anything else. It takes time. You know, it, it, the, the G comes first and everybody gets all excited about the next G, right? I mean, we're already talking about 6G and I mean, hell, they're talking about Wi-Fi 7 and, you know, you don't have much going on with Wi-Fi 6 yet, although it's coming, right? Um, you know, so, you know, as soon as the G starts coming, um, you know, they get some equipment out there and uh, it takes a while for everything else to catch up. I, I think in the, in the case of private networks, um, because there needs to be differentiation, education uh, work done around why private cellular versus just Wi-Fi, right? Um, I think that uh, it's, it's, it's more on the customer side than the ecosystem side from an adoption perspective uh, that's going to that's gonna hold things back, right? And to your point, in the U.S. especially, where, you know, there's plenty of fiber, uh, you know, there's um, – there's, uh, you know, there's very strong uh, capabilities inside of these large uh, companies uh, to uh, build and manage Wi-Fi networks and 
there's a lot of uh, really strong players out there like ourselves and others that can do that for them if they wish. Um, I think I think what you'll see is uh, on the private cellular side, um, you know, one of the decisions they'll have to make is do they want to do they want this to be a capex model or is the business model that they're going to adopt be a, a NAS model or network as a service? We believe um, it 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 could be and in many cases should be a network as a service model. And you know, she's you've seen this. When you look at innovation and the adoption curve and what's holding things back, it's it's not just the ecosystem of uh, of, of providers, um, but it's also the business models. There's as much innovation nowadays around business models as there is around technology, and and you got to see which one works. And I, and I believe that each of these verticals is going to buy differently, and they are going to want a different business model. And you can even break it down further where. Um, the size of the company, whether it be the largest OEMs down to the OEMs that create parts that go into an, a car, right, that, that Ford or Chevy or somebody buys from to put in a car um, is going to change the, the business model and the need, right? Yeah, absolutely. I also have a very strong believer of this fact that technologies like this, even for that matter, Wi-Fi, um, and that same thing will happen with private cellular, somebody who is able to f- figure out the end-to-end story of how this is deployed, managed, run, troubleshooted, and uh, provide a, a turnkey services is is really the way the enterprises will go. And the mindset is already there, in my view, because of you know the shift in whole this whole cloud infrastructure and SaaS services from an application standpoint that is happening. And even though that the SaaS mindset of the application from you know moving to the cloud is shifting back to okay, I need to do something on my 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 network, I need to own and operate certain parts of it. But I think the the complexity they they do understand and and whole managed services aspect will continue. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100. percent And again, that's just a you know we talked about the boardroom, right? Sheesh. Yeah. Um, one of the things that sometimes you need to do is is educate your board on the why uh, because it could affect the um, the financials, right? That, that you're presenting uh, to either the board or the or or the CEO is presenting to the street, right? Um, and when you move from capex to network as a service, you look at the utility industry in the United States. And that that, you, that industry is primarily built on a fixed rate of return or FRR, which goes back to capital contributions and capital purchases, right? Um, you know, OPEX is a little naughty. Uh, but then you go to other industries where it's more of a blend. And then you go to some and then some size companies where they don't have the capital to put up or don't want to put the capital up because they're allocating in other places. And they just want a monthly fee and they don't want to have any expertise on site that manages that. And that's a perfect play for, for that NAS model that we're talking about or that managed service, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what, what would some of those industry verticals be, which are more uh, open to the idea of the, the network as a service model? Yes. Yeah, so look, I think that uh, manufacturing is going to be one that, and again, you look at the manufacturing uh, ecosystem as far as, uh, as OEMs and, and take the auto example, the automotive example, you know, you could have a you could have a company like Delphi that creates uh, parts that go into a vehicle, um, and then a, a large auto OEM that assembles the vehicle and then sells it via retail. Right? Uh, the smaller uh, and mid-sized manufacturing facilities, it would certainly uh, behoove them <coughs> to look at these managed service models so that they don't have to uh, have the expertise on staff and they can allocate resources other ways. 
I think the I think the large OEMs will will look at a hybrid model where they may allocate some capital and then also outsource some of it because they don't want to add to the existing staff that they have that their staff has already got their hands full maybe with managing a, a massive Wi-Fi network or um, you know whatever they're working on from a connectivity perspective in the vehicles, right? So you know that that's one example of uh, of network as a service. I think healthcare is also another good example. Uh, you know, I think healthcare is going to be healthcare probably has the second largest need for um, for private networks um, and mobility within those private networks and facilities. But you know, you have also a lot of uh, politics that you have to work through um, when it comes to uh, working with healthcare, right? So I think they'll adopt a little slower than manufacturing, um, but I do think that's also an area where you could you could see a lot of network as a service and managed service offerings. That they already do that today. And then I think in um, you know an example of commercial real estate um, and the ability to provide maybe a neutral host private network um, that carriers could roam on eventually. And uh, you know now connectivity inside of a, a large office building, a million million square foot office building with a bunch of tenants is, um, you know, is certainly as much a utility as electricity. Yep. So you can have a, a scenario where that private network is sold to the tenants, um, but also uh, leveraged by the carrier. And I think in that case, clearly uh, the management company or owner of that building does not want to deal with managing the network. They want to manage the leases and bringing tenants in. And then um, they'll, they'll hand that off as a NAS model to Boingo. And we are doing that today, um, you know, so that we manage those networks for them. Yeah, it makes makes a lot of sense to me um, from a CRE perspective, definitely. So talking about these verticals, um, can you share some interesting deployment experience you've had with private cellular? Sure. Um, you know, uh, I can tell you that we've been we've been public about uh, we've been public about ORD and some of the work that we have done there. Um, you know, that that's uh, that's one airport that we have private cellular deployed in um, and certainly have had uh, have have seen good success uh, from from there. And, um, you know, in particular, we have kiosks that are being leveraged that are now mobile that can be um, moved around the airport. Um, and again, these are leveraging video so that passengers can interact with a customer service agent. Um, you know, great example of mobility and private networks and that not being on the public network. Um, we have uh, video solutions deployed at airports uh, across the U.S., uh, one of them being uh, one of the top five airports, five international airports. The use case there is is primarily for um, uh, traffic and transportation, pedestrian movement. Um, so, you know, you're, you're looking at that there. That's that's a that's a good example of what's a quote-unquote outdoor use case, but not necessarily providing fixed wireless to a home, right? Um, you know, so uh, we've got some activity right now around uh, logistics related at a major airport that will be a, a POC around cargo and asset tracking out on the tarmac. So you're starting to get now, you know, outdoor, uh, not customer-facing, but more um, for airport operations, which certainly drives some synergies. And then, and then we've got, you know, uh, healthcare is very active for us uh, in, in, in a customer that we have that's in a campus environment. And then we have certainly uh, a lot of activity in the manufacturing commercial real estate environment. So 
um, you know, really, really making good progress. We're gaining momentum and, um, you know, we're in a, a really great place when you're talking about conversion networks and, and specifically, you know, private networks. Awesome. They all look really, really good use cases. I know we're coming to an end here. So I'll, I'll sum it up and ask you one final question and maybe that is a leave behind for our audience here. How would you lay out a checklist that enterprise should follow to better prepare in the wireless network? Yeah, so I think first, um, do an inventory of, of what you have today and, and where, your, uh, where your gaps are at, right? Where your KPIs are lacking, uh, where you're not meeting the SLAs that you have in place. Start with that, right? You have to know what you don't know before you can start to build a plan to move forward. And then, and then once you have that, then it is making sure that you're working with the stakeholders across the business, not operating in a silo, and having the discussions as to what are the key use cases uh, and outcomes that your group is trying to drive to hit the KPIs. And, and once, you, once you get to that point and you have uh, where your gaps are at, you will, you'll have the use cases and the outcomes the business units are trying to drive. That will probably help you identify more gaps. And then you can start to move forward with a roadmap that identifies uh, how you start to develop a converged connectivity solution um, that will help you to deploy use case and and, and end solutions that will drive those outcomes. Um, And then once you have all that, uh, you know, or anywhere along the way, when you start to get into that connectivity conversation, you know, you, you call a company like Boingo. And I can tell you that we are getting engaged much earlier in the process than we ever were. It is well before any RFPs come out. And we're usually in conversations very early on in that gap analysis process, because what they find is most customers um, in, in the enterprise space have a, uh, they've got a, a Wi-Fi expert, they've got a cellular expert, um, but they both are very opinionated towards those technologies where we come at it as a converged approach. That's a very good point. I think converged network is the keyword, I believe, for enterprises to consider going forward. And private cellular is just yet another tool in the bag to consider and, and make use of it the best way. Agreed. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Michael. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Okay, Ashish. Thanks so much. And you have a great day. You too. Great discussion, Michael. Your suggestions to focus on business outcomes and identify gaps early on in the network assets will certainly help enterprises better plan their converged network strategy. I'm sure CIOs will learn a great deal from your insights on how to navigate through the maze of private cellular networks. Thanks once again for your time. Thanks everyone for listening. Please subscribe to the Alignment Podcast on your favorite platform. It's A-L-Y-N-M-E-N-T. We hope you will continue the conversation by asking questions and sharing your thoughts on adoption challenges of private networks. Feel free to reach out to me at ashish.jain at kairospulse.com or drop me a note on my LinkedIn. Till next time, enjoy reading and listening to our insights and perspectives on private LTE and 5G.com.